Hello, and welcome to Johnson Ferry Women Online Bible Study Podcast. My name is Marcia Crow, and I'm the minister to women here at Johnson Ferry. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today for an amazing study that, well, I think you're going to love it. Our goal with online Bible study is to help you find time to be in the Word amidst your busy schedules and full lives and to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Each week we'll feature your Bible study teacher digging into your study, challenging you, providing resources, and giving you a little homework to help you walk through this online Bible study experience. Are you ready, ladies? Get your Bibles and let's get started. Discipleship that fits, thinking about how is it that we are discipled as followers of Jesus, how different relationships affect our discipleship, and how different relationship structures affect our discipleship. And so we're going to get into some of what that means, uh, just so you're aware. So when I came to Johnson Ferry, I've been here about six years, and I started off being a part of our children's ministry team. And so I even see some of our children's ministry volunteers, current children's ministry staff in here. And then two and a half, three years ago, I transitioned to my current position, which is called adult education. And so as part of that, I oversee our Sunday Bible studies, uh, some of our co-ed studies on Wednesday nights, and, and just different things that we do throughout the year. And so discipleship is certainly something that is of interest to me, but I'll also tell you a lot of what we're going to talk about today is not stuff that Johnson Ferry would say we've got it figured out. A lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is conversations that are currently going on in our staff that are currently being had where Clay, our senior pastor, is leading us on. Hey, what is it going to look like for us uh, discipleship for the next 10 years as a church? What has it looked like? What does it currently look like? And what should it look like in the future? And so I'm certainly not here with all the answers. And if you are, tell me so then I can look really smart with Clay. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, And uh, so, uh, but discipleship that... Fit. So the first thing is, so this is where you are going to have to do a little bit of table talk for just a second, and we could spend hours on this, but we're, we're only going to take about five minutes. I'm going to give you a definition of discipleship that we've uh, kind of, I don't want to say we've developed, that we have adopted at Johnson Ferry as we've been having discussions, but before I do that, and so don't even really look at your sheet because that kind of gives a little bit away, I want you just to talk with your, what do you call yourselves? Table mates? Do you, team? Friends? Required friends? Okay. Um, I just want you to chat for just a second. When we talk about being a disciple or we talk about discipleship, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? And, and I promise you, there are different definitions across the room. So we're not looking for the best. Try not to Google. And, uh, and just talk for a moment and maybe have one scribe if you think you've got an answer that you kind of like and talk about what do you think it means when we talk about discipleship in the Christian church. Go!
All right. No right or wrong answers. And again, this is something churches all over the country, all over the world might define discipleship a little different. So does somebody, is there a table that's brave enough to give the first to share maybe a, a thought or so someone who follows Jesus leads others to Jesus. Good. Anybody else have a, a thought? Discipleship. Disciple accountability, community, fellowship. Great. Mentoring teaching. Great. Somebody heard a voice. Intentionality. Okay, Christ-like leadership, great. Walking beside, I like that, yeah. That's great. All these are, are great. Anybody else have maybe a nugget that, that they haven't heard yet? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. These are good. Let me, so, and, and again, this is what I'm going to share with you. Uh, before I even tell our definition, and I think your sheet, can I steal this one? Do you guys need this? I may have it. No stealing in church. Um, one of the lines, and if you are a Sunday Bible study leader, I know some of you are at Johnson Ferry, you might have heard us use this line where we say a, a big, and this isn't on your sheet, but a big part of discipleship is thinking it's not just knowledge assimilation and it's not just behavior modification, it's life transformation. Um, and one of the challenges of that is it's kind of hard to quantify life transformation, Right. If, can I can I give a sheet to Clay every Monday morning that says, here are the lives that were transformed, right? Uh, that would be great, but it's a little muddier, right? It, it's a little messier. But let me read you, this is the definition that we've kind of been using lately uh, here at Johnson Ferry. It is a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus Kingdom mission. I'll read that one more time. Uh, and it's up on the screen if you need to fill it in. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, who's committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. One of the reasons that we have kind of landed on using this, this wording is that this definition talks about how our heart is affected, how our minds are affected, but it also includes an action obedience element that's part of being a follower of Jesus. Then uh, a second note, I don't, this isn't on your sheet, but disciple making is helping people trust and follow Jesus. Disciple making is helping people to trust and follow Jesus. I love somebody in our, when we were sharing, mentioned uh, kind of having to lay aside some things as part of discipleship. And I this this was just kind of extra, but I liked it. And I didn't know who this guy was. You might remember him from back in the day, but John Wimber was a evangelist uh, kind of guy back in the day. But listen to what he said about discipleship and humility. So humility being the key component, something I hadn't really thought about with discipleship. Discipleship requires a humility that recognizes that I still have much to learn and that because I belong to Jesus, he can send me into any new places and situations. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, this is the quote, it is the willingness to become a beginner 
again for Jesus Christ. So for discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, that means we have never arrived, right, this side of heaven. There is always more room to grow, more room to learn. I worked at a church, not Johnson Ferry, and I remember uh, the pastor that I was serving at, uh, the pastor where I was serving, never went to any conferences. He never read books. And, and somebody on staff finally just said, "Why, you know, we do this as staff. Like, why don't you do any of that? And he said, well, I've, I've, I've kind of learned all I need to learn, was his response. And so it wasn't long after that I came to Johnson Ferry. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. But I think a, a, an attitude of humility, whether you're Clay Smith or Bryant Wright or you're... Uh, I was trying to think of somebody really lowly, so I'll just say myself, Stephen Bonham. You know, anybody, we all need to come to a place where if we are truly going to be a disciple, if we're going to disciple others, humility has got to be uh, a component of that, where we realize we don't have it all together, that we don't have it all figured out, and that we all have room to grow. So discipleship, I don't want to say discipleship has changed, but maybe the way we view it is having to change. Let me show you, this is a chart of probably how if most of you, if, if you grew up in the church world, right? If, if, if church is kind of part of your background, even if you didn't come to Christ as a, as a child or, or a, a teenager, you probably are at least familiar. This is kind of the model of discipleship or just the, the path, all right? There's evangelism. For some people, it's a one time I went and heard this speaker and I came to know Christ. For others, maybe you have family members that you've been praying for for years and years. And this evangelism is is really years long. Then there's the conversion moment. And then you enter into discipleship and that takes you all the way until our glorification, which is our salvation we experience when we're in heaven, right? So everybody good on that? It's pretty easy to follow. It's very clean. We Baptists really like it because there's this big emphasis right on this moment. And we know the before, we know the after, and we write this date down in our Bible, right? This is, this is very clean and easy. Well, let me show you what more and more churches are beginning to think of when they think of discipleship. So look at this. This is important as we are entering more and more into a post-Christian world. You might have heard that phrase before, right? Clay has said from the pulpit, we're still playing the same game, but we now are the away team. Do you guys remember Clay saying that, right? Uh, for years and years in our country, we had a unique dynamic in that we were the home team. Uh, and it was popular to be on the team and to cheer for the team. Even if you weren't on the team, you at least respected the team. But now we're in a day and age where we are the away team. And so those dynamics are changing. And in that post-Christian world, what we're seeing is that there is a lot of people experiencing evangelism and discipleship kind of simultaneously. I used that word muddy earlier, right? They're hearing the gospel, but they might come to church. We have people coming to church right now who are telling us, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested. But they're going to a Bible study. Or they're going to, we had a class for 10 weeks called Starting Point, which was just designed to help people new in their faith or uh, people who are questioning the faith and just inquiring about it. And so you have this muddiness. And then what happens is someone is, they experience conversion. And now you'll see it's flipped, right? Evangelism is on top on the left side, right? So there's still an emphasis on evangelism. 
But then now as being converted, discipleship takes influence. But even now for all of us as part of of being a follower of Jesus, you might have heard the line, the quote, the saying that says we should preach the gospels to ourselves every day, right? So there is an element even of evangelism for those of us who are already in Christ where we are continuing in our sanctification to be growing not only in discipleship, but just in the reality of how the gospel is currently changing our lives, evangelism. Does that make sense? Now, I know this is a little muddy compared to maybe what how we thought of spiritual growth in the past, but this is kind of the day and age that we're in. And we're going to get into that even more in just a moment as we look at some of different avenues of discipleship. So, uh, and one thing to think about that helps me with this is to think about the disciples. And you think about those three years that the disciples were with Jesus. Did all of them completely surrender their lives to Jesus right when he called them to drop their nets and follow him? Maybe. But we also see over three years an increasingly growth in their understanding and acknowledgement of who Jesus was. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, "Who all the crowd says I'm this and that, but who do you say I am? And then even in Peter's story where we see that uh, he denied Jesus, but then he comes back to that place of repentance, right? So we see that the disciples had that three years where they were being discipled, but at the same time, they're learning who this Jesus really is. And then we know that they would go on to lead the church and die deaths for Jesus. I think an indication that over that three years, they all came to a place, uh, except for Judas, where they acknowledged who Jesus truly was. So what we're going to really spend a bulk of our time on today is talking about uh, avenues of discipleship. These are relationship avenues. So here is a chart, avenues of discipleship. And don't worry if it's a little small, hard for you to see. We'll, we'll get a little zoomed in in just a moment. But in the avenues of discipleship, we're going to look at the importance of corporate worship, missional community, small groups, transparent groups, and personal time with the Lord. And we're going to see, and and so before we just park on that, I want to talk about the why. Why should we in this room in March of 2020, why should we talk about these things and their importance? And there's a few reasons. Number one, it can help us each evaluate how we are in each of those areas, right? Is there an area in this big scheme of discipleship and relationship context where I'm not seeing growth in my life? And maybe there's other people in our lives that we have that that bandwidth, we have the permission to speak into. Second, we can clear up unrealistic expectations. And this is something for me as I lead Sunday Bible studies. We have 50, 55 groups that meet on every Sunday morning. They're ongoing groups. So maybe a little bit different than like in here when you guys have met probably what, eight to 10 weeks. We have ongoing groups where um, sometimes there can be expectations placed on a group and those expectations are unrealistic. And we want everybody to be at this level. Or we want everybody's attendance to be at this level. Or we want everybody to learn this much. But sometimes we can create unrealistic expectations on different relationship contexts. And those expectations were never designed to be on that uh, particular context. And I think that'll make this will make more sense in just a moment. And then finally, I want us to see how each avenue supports the others. I truly believe that if a follower of Jesus is growing in these five different relationship contexts that they're going to see strong spiritual growth, that they're going to experience spiritual transformation, which comes ultimately through the Holy Spirit 
and as we uh, soak in God's word, the Holy Spirit uses God's word. But I think God also uses our experiences and our relationships to be a part of our discipleship as we're being refined more and more into uh, what a follower of Jesus uh, or what Jesus has called us to be. So any questions up to this point? You guys are, are doing great. You guys pay so much more attention than children's ministry. Um, I'll tell you. So, great. All right, the first that I want to talk about, this is corporate worship. In the book, Discipleship That Fits, they, make sure I give you the right word, they turn this the public context. So we're going to talk in each of these a different relationship context. So it's not on there, but this is the public context. So can somebody think of an example of where Jesus experienced relationship in the public context? So we think about like our worship gatherings at Johnson Ferry that usually is between three and 800 people at one time. Anybody think of an example in the Bible? Yeah. Teaching in the temple. Great. What else? Jesus in the public context. First miracle, going to a wedding with a large group of people. What about our last, anybody remember, what was our last uh, sermon series? Do you remember what it was before? Oh, I heard it say it. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus first, right? Uh, where uh, Jesus first, we looked at different passages from Sermon on the Mount. Probably the most famous, most important sermon, right, ever recorded. And uh, I'll just take out probably. It is the most important sermon. But here you have Jesus speaking to a large group of people. And so I think the public context is important. We also see times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of God's people gathering together, the early church gathering together. We see in that first, man, when the early church is kicking off and thousands and thousands of people come to Jesus. So let's talk for just a minute about public context. This could be sanctuary, it can be activity center, if you go to another church, whatever your environment is. Let's talk about the goals. And I think on your sheet, you got a few spaces. So in this book, for each of the contexts, these authors give three goals. These are not the only goals. These are not the definitive goals. But I'm just going to share with you kind of what they present. The first goal is inspiration. The second goal is not a real word, so I underlined it, movementum. I say it's not a real word. Maybe it is. I don't think so. And then third is preaching. So, and I'm, I certainly don't intend to step on anybody's toes. And I would assume if you're coming to a 10-week Bible study uh, midweek, this is probably not you, but we have a lot of folks at Johnson Ferry where this is probably 95% of their discipleship is the public context. And that's great, right? If you said, hey, should somebody not go to church at all or should they come to the public worship gathering? I would say come to the worship gathering, right? That's a good thing. Great stuff happens. Lives are changed. Maybe your life changed in a public context. But my hope is that you'll see that while these goals are great, if that's the only element where somebody is experiencing discipleship, that they're not getting all that God has, the gift of discipleship that he has for them. So when we talk about inspiration and movementum, I think about how Clay is able to, at one time, talk to the whole church and to help our church get from point A to point B. He's able to vision cast. He's able to um, set where it is that we need to go as a church, where we need to go as families, as individuals. 
Does that make sense? So movementum and inspiration. Oftentimes, uh, maybe you've been in a worship service, and whether it's through Mark or Bobby and leading worship music, or maybe it's through a great sermon and you feel inspired and you feel uh, and emotion is touched and feeling is touched and maybe you've teared up or maybe your heart just is, right? A lot of times those elements of who we are are affected more than when you're sitting in a circle in a Bible study. doesn't mean it can't happen, but there is inspiration that can happen in the large group setting. There's also something special about and, and I understand we just had MOVE conference where we had MOVE partners here who don't experience on a regular basis the public context that we do. So I understand that not every church is going to be a Johnson Ferry. But there is something special about once a week coming and saying, you know what, I live in a world that is so filled with darkness and sin and worldliness and things that pull at me. And to be in a room with 300 people who at least at some level were saying, hey, we're here together and we share the same values and we want to grow together and we want to struggle together and we want to worship together. And even if it's just for an hour, we want to lay aside all that other junk and we want to get refueled for the week ahead. To me, there's something very inspiring and beneficial about that. And so public context does that in a way that other contexts can't. Then the last is preaching, right? Where clay, typically clay, maybe the teaching pastors are able to use God's word to where typically we don't go as deep as you would in maybe different Bible study contexts, but you're still able to look at God's word, to see what God's word, how it applies to our lives, and to, to give it uh, to everybody at one time. So tell me, I know I've read the book, so it's kind of cheating. Can anybody think of some barriers if somebody was only going to come participate in the public context. What are some barriers? Personal connection, right? There's And, and so this is really a, a two, I'm glad you brought that up. It's kind of two sides to a coin. One of the benefits of public worship is, and maybe this is your story, and you needed a good soft front door, a room that's kind of dark where you can sit in the back and you can come check out Jesus and Christianity or a church. Maybe you hadn't been to church in a long time. And having that anonymity is really a positive. However, you can only rest in anonymity for so long before then it becomes unhealthy. Where you aren't getting true connection, right? And I see it every week. Folks that come, they show up, they, they get here right when the service starts. And as soon as Clay or Bobby or whoever says amen, they slip out the back door and they go home. Again, I'm not, I'm not, if that's you, uh, I'm not trying to step on toes, anything like that. But at the end of the day, are you able to get any personal connection, right? So that's definitely a barrier. I'm glad you brought that up. Any other barriers that you can think, or it could be even a positive that we haven't mentioned? Yeah, we definitely can. And I think even as we get deeper into different contexts, that can even be more and more, um, of an issue where when we see the value, the why, you know, do we just go to us? I, I hate this term, but Sunday school, right? We don't call it Sunday school here. So if you say Sunday school to me, I'm going to give you a little look. Um, but I'll just say it for our purposes. Uh, if do we just go to Sunday school to check off a box or is there true value to being involved in something like that? So I think we'll get to that once we when we see the value of some of these other contexts. Um, let me share a few reasons why preaching is so important for our discipleship. 
And this is, uh, this is from the book. Number one, it's not personal. What do I mean by that? It's not personal in the fact that Clay can up on the stage preach and talk about how um, sex before marriage is not part of God's design. And somebody who's sitting in the audience has the room to feel convicted without feeling attacked. Does that make sense? If you meet in a circle of 10 people and the Bible study teacher says, any sex before marriage is a sin and everybody knows that that one of the 10 is, is living with somebody before marriage, they're going to feel not only possibly convicted, but they're also going to feel attacked. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying there aren't opportunities, there aren't times and relationships where God's going to ask you to speak a hard truth to someone, but in the public sphere, the public context, you can address tough issues where it doesn't come across as personal. Does that make sense? Um, so that's one benefit. Uh, number two, difficult topics and taboos can be tackled, kind of the same thing. Core content and vision can be shared. We talked about that with inspiration. And then people are not forced into a response, right? That comes to, and we've done things at the end of just uh, Jesus First where everybody brought a card down front, but if somebody really wanted to stay in their seat, most wouldn't even know, right? It, you still have that ability to not be forced to respond. Uh, and then we talked about anonymity is assured. But challenges, worship service can become the apex of the spiritual week. Now, some of this is going to be the discipleship guys, but I think we all, if you've grown up in church, the Sunday morning worship gathering is kind of the apex. It's the highlight of the Christian week. And what they would argue is that as we look at these other contexts, that we would see that really that worship hour, and I think Clay would even agree with this, that, that worship hour is best when it supports the community that's experienced in smaller rooms, smaller circles. So I'm sure there's maybe some of you that don't completely agree with that. We certainly want to have worship that honors and glorifies God and is done with excellence and that motivates and moves people and inspires people and gets people more knowledgeable about the word. Um, but if we're not careful, sometimes so much effort can be in the excellence put into that to the neglect of relationships. Does that make sense? We'll keep going. Uh, less accountability. I think uh, you mentioned that was kind of the first thing you said. It's you're less accountable as far as uh, we don't really take attendance on a Sunday morning, right? You can miss for seven, eight weeks uh, and, and we don't know it. But if you're in a smaller group, the chances of falling through those cracks become a lot harder. All right, so we're going to move on from the public context. We're going to just knock out one more. And this one is the least natural for Johnson Ferry, okay? So you're going to see this and you're going to think, what is he talking about? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I'm going to try to kind of move it into our context. So we go back. This is that, that graph. We just did the top one, corporate worship, the public context. Let's go to the next avenue. Avenues of discipleship, missional community. They list this as the social context. So I'm just going to let you know, and some of you are going to think this is so weird, and that's okay. There are churches that are all based around um, missional home group communities. Life on life. We're not just talking a once a week Bible study. We're talking your door is always open, and there are 20 people that might come in and out depending on the time of day. And it's, it's just different from, our, from most of our East Cobb culture. 
I don't, maybe you've been a part of something like that. It sounds neat to me. Clay and I talked about this the other day and he said, yeah, it sounds great until that person needs a shower. Uh, and then, and then you're ready for him to get out of your house. But, uh, so this in our context, the best way I would describe it is our emphasis on live, work, play, right? This is being intentional where you live. Uh, this is, and even more than that, this would be how do we connect strategically with other believers where we live, work, play to be intentional in reaching those who are far from God. And that could be connecting with other Johnson Ferry people, but it could be connecting with the Mount Bethel person. It could be connecting at Johnson Ferry. We're all about kingdom vision, right? Connecting with other followers of Jesus. We might have some differences on the smaller things, but at the end of the day, it's how can we connect with other followers of Jesus and being intentional with those we reach. I live in an area not that far away, but I'm, I'm a good 20 to 25 minutes away. We're in the Sprayberry District to where there aren't a whole lot of Johnson Ferry people that live. So if I was only going to hang out with Johnson Ferry Christians to impact my neighbors, it would be pretty challenging, right? But are there other neighbors in my, in my world that I could connect with that maybe go to other churches, go to a Passion, go to a North Point, where we say, hey, Let's team up and, and think about how we can intentionally connect with those who we, who we at least perceive aren't far from God. So I just did a mission trip to Panama with um, um, one of our, our singles groups. And uh, the, na- the church that we worked with was literally a house in a neighborhood. And it was that, man, people are just coming up all the time. People involved in the church, people not involved with the church. He was the pastor of, he and his wife really were the co-pastors of this neighborhood. Does that make sense? So it was it was very different than like my world, go home, close the garage door, double lock the door. Um, oh no, somebody knocked on the door. If we don't think it's UPS, we don't go to the door, right? So it was definitely different. So I think some of it is, uh, is history related, but I think some of it also might just be community. Uh, and maybe some of you grew up in an area that was a little more front door open. Um, but uh, that's a good good point. Jesus in the social context, I think about, or, or they wrote about Jesus in the 70, when he sends out the 70, and they go to, to, to connect with people. They're sent out. That's Luke chapter 10. Eating with Matthew's tax collector friends. That's Matthew chapter 9. The party at Zacchaeus' home, Luke 19. Right? Jesus was being very strategic in that social context. The mission of of these kinds of things, missional community or the social context, the mission is make disciples in a specific neighborhood or a network of relationships. So this could be the person that works who says, I'm going to connect with the two or three other believers in my office, and we're going to have intentional Bible study, and we're going to invite others, and and we want to have open door policy to where people know, hey, these are, if I have a spiritual question, or we've all heard the story about somebody who comes into uh, someone's office and, and for the first time says, I really need prayer, right? My, my husband's going through this. My wife's going through this. And um, that was a front door for those spiritual conversations. And so it doesn't have to just be at home with missional. It can be the gym I work out with. Okay, I go to this gym. Well, so does my buddy who's also a believer. So, hey, we're just going to be intentional. We're going to start praying that we would have gospel conversation opportunities. And because we go to the gym, if you go, to, I don't go to the gym, but I've heard if you go to the gym, you see, you see the same people on a regular basis, right? The same, they have the same ebb and flow where you say, how can I impact those people to the best of my ability? Does it mean we're going to have a Bible study there at the leg press? Probably not, but 
But at the same time, you're opening yourself up for gospel conversations, for care through prayer, for whatever it is. Um, so Jesus certainly experienced the social context in, in connecting with people. Let's talk about the goals real quick, and then uh, I promised you a break. We'll do the break. Goals here simply are community, mission. This is often a, a, a front door opportunity. And then practice. So what they talk about in the book is having a Bible study at your home is a lot less threatening environment to let somebody lead who maybe is not quite ready to stand up and lead a group of 40 people or 50 people or to preach on a stage, right? It's an opportunity where people can grow, where somebody can pray out loud for the first time and not feel as threatened. It's an opportunity where kids, uh, they even talk about how they've seen kids that are given opportunities to lead and participate in ways that maybe wouldn't be as appropriate in your adult Sunday Bible study. Not saying that can't happen, but this is just maybe a softer environment. When we talk about uh, that second one, mission, this goes back to the post-Christian. The mindset here is, if I had a whiteboard, I would write porch, arrow, house, arrow, church. And the thought being, the first step is, how do I get somebody on my porch? Right? That can be intimidating. And then the thought is, how can we, with that relationship, get to a point where I can invite them in? And then how can I get to the point then where I could invite them to be a part of local body of believers, whether they are a Christian or not? Remember that evangelism, discipleship dichotomy. Because the reason that that is so important is uh, they give the stat, and I've heard different numbers, 60% of Americans say they would not be open to an invite to church, right? So that means 40% are, are, which is a challenge for all of us that like, man, if we asked 10 people to church, four would say yes. Uh, but that 60 is a large number. And so because we live in this post-Christian society, world, culture, it's going to be important that we realize for a lot of people, the front step, the front door is literally going to be a porch being in the home. Does that make sense? A little bit outside the box of what maybe we've experienced for years uh, as being Christians in America, but something that's important. All right, so we've talked about two of the five. We've talked about the public context, which for us is generally a large worship setting. We talked about the social context where we know uh, Jesus was intentional in connecting with those who are far from God in often a less religious setting. And in our context, that's live, work, and play. How can we connect with neighbors to, or, or coworkers or whatever the situation might be to influence those who are far from God? And now let's talk about the third, and this is important to me because so much of my job is around this. But So this is, uh, here it's the small group, but it's also, they call it the personal context. The personal context. So, uh, just, and this is, I'm just curious, how many in here would say that they are fairly regularly a part of a Sunday Bible study here at Johnson Ferry? So that's a lot of you, or maybe another church, if, if whatever that, that context might be. So that's a good, good number of you. The rest of you, I'll talk to you after class. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, and really what I'm about to do though is, as we talk, we're going to talk through I don't want to use the word negatives. We are going to acknowledge that there are some challenges, but there's also a lot of strengths, and we'll see the importance of why we all need 
a personal context. And for us, often that means Sunday Bible studies. That might also, for you, mean a women's ministry group. Maybe you've got a group that's ongoing. I think that would be an important context, uh, and you'll see that in a moment, but maybe you've got a group of ladies that you regularly connect with. They, in, in the book, talk about this group being between 10 and 12. At Johnson Ferry, that number is probably more like an average of 20. We've got some of our Bible studies that have uh, are closer to 10. We've got some of our Bible studies that maybe you're a part of that are like 70. Uh, and certainly there are challenges to kind of both ends of that spectrum. But uh, maybe for you, it could also be connecting with roughly 10 to 15 ladies regularly. Jesus in personal context. This one's pretty easy, but can anybody think where Jesus might have hung out with 12 or so people on a regular basis? Anybody? The disciples! There you go. Jesus was very intentional in his relationship with the 12 disciples. He taught the 12 disciples, but he also modeled the disciples. In this context, we also oftentimes see a big impact on leadership development. Now, certainly there can be leadership development that doesn't have a spiritual component, but we see a lot of leadership development that also occurs in our Sunday Bible studies. So uh, the purpose is to become disciples, to make disciples. I'll say that again. The purpose is to become disciples, to make disciples. So let me go to the goals. For those of you that like filling out a sheet, here's the three. Closeness, support, and challenge. These are not the only goals, but let's talk about these for just a second. Closeness. Can you experience closer relationships with people in a Sunday Bible study than you can in large group worship or in a women's group? When I say Sunday Bible study, just uh, it could be a group that you meet with at your home that's, that's 15, 20 people, 10 people. Closeness is experience which is one of the reasons why groups can't be too big, which is why whenever you or your group leader comes and says, we need a bigger room, our first response is going to be, well, who from your group could leave to go start a new group? That's our first goal. There's kind of a mindset, maybe uh, back in the day, and I even remember it, right? Bigger, 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 right? I want my class. If our class were at 20, if we could only be 30, if our class could only be 50, oh, if we could only be 100, then we'd really be a strong class. And we're in a day and age now where we're saying, no, we want to see how can we help you get back to 20 in a healthy way. So um, certainly challenges with smaller groups, challenges with larger groups. But when we talk about the personal context, we want to see how can we be as close to 20 as possible. Because when you get to that 75, are you close with everyone? like a mini church. That's right. Uh, and we talk about how your Sunday group is like a church within a church for the big church, but we don't want you to take that too far to where uh, there are people that will only come on a Sunday morning, not necessarily here, but any church, and they'll go to their really large Sunday morning group, and they don't go to the public context, the worship service, because they're, 
they're getting that itch scratched to, for lack of more spiritual terms. They're, they're already getting a good sermon from a teacher. They're already getting the large group anonymity. Why do I need to go sit through a second one in the gym or in the sanctuary? And so we want each of these contexts to be distinct. And we'll talk a little bit about that more in just a second. But so we've talked about closeness, support. These are the groups. This is the context. When you go to the hospital, this is who we want to come visit, right? When you have had a baby and you don't want to cook for a few weeks, we want this to be the first pool of people that sign up on the whatever genius uh, and, and bring you a casserole, right? So we want there to be support. These are the people that, that know what you're going through. But this is also an environment where there is going to begin to be more challenge. I gave the example, right, of how the preacher can challenge without stepping on your toes. But would we all admit that part of our discipleship is that there are times where somebody needs to step on our toes, right? It never feels good, but if any of us are going to grow, there's going to be points where we need to be made a little uncomfortable, where we're challenged, where we're shown areas where we could grow and where we can do that for other people. And the smaller group then provides more of that opportunity. There are some limitations. So one of the limitations is size. If the group gets too big, there can be limitations. We talked about that. Another limitation for most of our groups on Sunday morning, I said we've got 50, 55 groups. All but three of them are co-ed. You know what I mean by that? They're mainly men and women, whether it's a singles group or it is a couples class or some kind of a mix of singles and couples. All but three are co-ed. And I think we all know those environments where in in this room with all women, uh, you might feel more comfortable to talk about some issue. And certainly I know that from experience, being around uh, groups with just men when you come into that co-ed environment, that sometimes there are limitations to that. Attendance patterns. Uh, on our Sunday Bible study, folks that used to come three Sundays out of a year, now they come once or twice out of a year. Attendance patterns are changing. Many different reasons, and that's a whole different talk uh, for another day. But attendance patterns, how, how might attendance patterns in a Sunday morning group impact the closeness that you can experience? Can't get close if you're not there. And so you might have Half the class that's there two weeks out of the year. The other class is two weeks out of the month, excuse me, out of the month. And, but you're like ships in the night, right? Where it's, you don't even see each other, the relationship. So there is closeness, but if, and this leads us to our next context in just a minute, there is a, a, a level of, uh, uh, of closeness that can be reached, but typically there is a ceiling that you're going to experience. And so when I talked about at the very beginning, we talked about one of the reasons that I really like talking about this subject is because to me it helps with expectations. When I have a Sunday Bible study leader that comes to me and they say, man, we just don't feel like we're quite getting intimate in our group and we're not really digging in. and There's no confession of sin and we're seeing uh, this and that. My response is, well, at the end of the day, at least according to what we're talking about here, that's not really the intent of this group. 
And we'll see why in just a second when we look at the next level. But still, this is a great front door. If you have Joe, who's been coming to worship service, and he finally gets it that, hey, biblical community is important. I'm missing out by only coming to worship. I'm going to go to a Sunday Bible study. And he goes to a class of 25, 30 people. He still is allowed a certain level of anonymity, isn't he? He's only going to get as much as he's willing to put in as far as closeness, vulnerability, all of that. But maybe if we were honest, and, and don't raise your hand or share, but I know I've, I've been in a class or a group. I like the word group more than class. I've been in a group with that 20, 25 people, and somebody shares something that feels almost, um, I don't want to use the word awkward, but maybe like too intimate, too like out there. And I think the reason for that is not that vulnerability is bad, right? I think vulnerability and authenticity lead to life change, but it's it's the context. And it's, so it's creating, and some of that falls on our leaders for how do we create an appropriate context for a certain level of closeness and community that's appropriate for this context. Does that make sense? I know I know some of this is a little abstract, uh, and some of this is going to change a little bit group to group. If you're in a group of 20 people who have known each other for 20 years, your dynamics of that group are going to be different than the group that was just kicked off. We just started a new singles class for those in their 30s and 40s, and it's 12 to 15, brand new people, right? And there's going to be different dynamics in that group than the couples class that does, um, what's it called, whenever dinner club every month and, and knows each other's kids' middle names, right? There's going to be different dynamics depending on who are in the group and how long they've been gone. But, um, but still, the personal context, uh, very important. And, you know, another limitation, and, and this is a limitation, our Sunday morning groups, all 50-ish groups are an open group. What does, that, what does it mean when I say an open group? Anybody can come at any week, right? Any door is always open. Doesn't matter if we just kicked off the series. It doesn't matter. Uh, anybody can look in that insert with all those classes and go at any time. And so that's an element that is a challenge for intimacy. And so what I like is, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead, we use the word closeness for this context, but for the next context, we use the word intimacy. And some of that comes down to expectations for what we experience in these different relationship contexts. So I'm going to move on to the next one unless somebody has an objection. Go back to our big chart. We've looked at the public context, the social context, the personal context, and now we come to the transparent context. So I wrote down here transparent groups. And this is an area where groups are often same gender, not necessarily always the case, but often same gender, provide deeper intimacy, accountability, and openness, the transparent context. So where do we see Jesus in the transparent context? So in our book, they list kind of as three or four, being what that group might look like. I might say all the way to six, but where... Where do you see Jesus experiencing the transparent relationship context? With the disciples, but go a little deeper. The three is what I'm talking about. So 
we, uh, it's not like there's a verse that says Jesus favored these three, but there are definitely uh, several instances in Scripture. You have uh, the transfiguration. You have an experience at the Mount of Olives. You have um, the praying in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus clearly pulls out Peter, James, and John, right? And he pulls them aside and has a different level of, of relational intimacy with them than it seems he has with the other night. Now, maybe he was meeting other times with those other disciples. We don't know. But for, for our talk today, think about Jesus with the three. We see this in other parts of, of Scripture as well. We see it Moses with Aaron and Joshua. Of course, Moses cared for many people, but he was more intentional with both of them. We see Paul really pouring into Titus, Silas, Timothy. Doesn't mean he didn't impact and have relationships with lots of other people and lots of other leaders. But we see him going even deeper. So at Johnson Ferry, we have some of these, but I wouldn't say they are as prevalent or as structured as we would say, especially the worship service in our Sunday morning groups. And so I could see this being an area where we're going to continue to grow in as a church, where we acknowledge, as great as a Sunday Bible study is, that there are some limitations to uh, the intimacy that can happen when you're in that mid-range size group, to where we're going to be saying, how can we get to smaller circles? Now, somebody tell me why. Typically, if you're in a Sunday Bible study that's smaller, that's okay. But tell me why it might not work to have a bunch of Sunday Bible studies that are four to six people in size. What what might be the challenge there? Exclusive, yeah, lose sense of community. We just said attendance patterns, right? Uh, and, and I've had teachers that have come to me and they said, you know, we run 10 on a good Sunday. And on those Sundays feels great. But then you hit Memorial Sunday weekend and it's the teacher and and their spouse and one other person and all of a sudden it's awkward, right? And so I'm not saying it can't happen in the structure that we currently have, but there's probably going to be a system in place or, or we need to be thinking about how can we have other avenues for people to connect with smaller groups, oftentimes same gender, to where the goals are going to be a little different. Here are those three goals for you note-takers. We have intimacy, not closeness, right? Kind of that next level. Intimacy, openness, which is certainly connected to intimacy. And then finally, impact. For openness, I like that the, the authors talk about often in small groups, we talk about accountability, so confession is, uh, is an aspect of that, and that is very important. But also just as important is celebration. It's having a small, intimate group of people where you can celebrate where God is working in your lives or, or where the things you're seeing improvement and growth in your life, right? You want people to celebrate uh, with you as well. And so we need both confession and celebration. And then that last one, impact. So this is a focus on the word leading to application and action. I know we haven't necessarily talked a whole lot of Bible. I hope that you, especially here at Johnson Ferry, you know any context that we're talking about. God's word is going to be a crucial, important aspect of that. 
But especially here in this transparent context, there's a focus on the word, but it's leading to application and action. We don't want just knowledge assimilation. We don't want just behavior modification, right? We want life transformation, which comes from the Holy Spirit using God's word, changing our lives. We mentioned this, but it's often gender specific. Some of this just allows women to get into the nitty gritty and men to get into the nitty gritty. But some of you might have been a part of a, of a couple's small group before where you were able to get to that level of intimacy. They write in this book, Discipleship That Fits, that this is where we see the most transformation, spiritual transformation occur. Does that mean spiritual transformation doesn't occur in the other avenues? It's not what that means. But it means that often what's most seen, the most growth is seen, is when people are truly doing life on life. These are the groups where you can ask the hard questions. These are the groups where you can call someone out. There's also a much higher level of accountability. In our Sunday Bible studies, if you miss two or three in a row, we hope that there's someone that will call you and they will say, Callie, we missed you. Have you guys been sick? Everything okay? Right? We, we just, we miss seeing you and, and um, would love to have you this Sunday if you guys are in town. Right? That's, that's what we want. But there's still that freedom to, nope, I'm going to miss another Sunday. But usually in these smaller context relational groups, you have a little bit more. I'm in an Alpha Mu group, which is kind of the men's uh, equivalent of the Titus uh, groups right now. And if you miss a meeting, you better be at a funeral. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the and, and we did have a guy that had, that had to miss for that reason. And of course, there's grace and understanding, but there is a higher level of accountability in, in typically in these settings. And that's why I do mention, they in the book say two to four, and I might say four to six, just because if you do have that time where it's just two of you, right, those dynamics change versus when there's four. Um, this also can often be a good environment for discipling a non-believer or someone who is newer to the faith. We'll see that. That's actually on the graph. But this is an environment where maybe somebody can ask a few more questions right? I've been a part of a group before where there's obviously someone there that's less church, less knowledgeable. Great that they're there, but sometimes their questions kind of overtake the discussion that's going on. And so this provides an environment maybe where a little more grace to where there can be that, um, that openness to not understanding something, not feeling like they're asking a dumb question because they're with all these believers. Um, so oftentimes this is where somebody can really jumpstart their relationship with Christ. As we're seeing people come to Jesus here at Johnson Ferry, we are training, equipping people, that starting point class that maybe you saw marketed, where we're wanting, hey, what if you take this same material as a guide and you walk it with that coworker or with that person at the gym that you know is new in their faith, or maybe somebody who's thinking about Jesus, and you just use that as a, a tool to help jumpstart that relationship with Christ. So this is often a, a, the, a relationship context that's appropriate for that. Any other questions about the transparent context? Often, these smaller groups develop from another relational context. So uh, there's some of our Sunday Bible studies will have men out of that group 
that meet once or twice a month out of that group. So you already have a certain level of closeness, but now you're saying, which of the guys in this group have the bandwidth, desire to go the next level to now we're starting to form intimacy? Now, if you're talking to a bunch of men, you don't use that word because that scares us. But um, but you're saying, how can we go to the next level? We have Sunday Bible studies where we say, hey, we're going to see if there are a group of women that are interested in getting together and taking that next step. Or maybe it is couples that come together where we say, uh, we really want to go deeper, not just into the word, but into each other's lives. So that's the transparent context. And now I really like this last context because I never thought of it as being part of my discipleship. Personal time with the Lord, or this would be, as they talk about in the book, the divine context. So we've talked about the public context, the social context, that's where we live, work, play. We talked about the personal context, which would be connecting with a group of 15, maybe 20, doing some life on life. We just talked about taking it to the next level, which is where we have transparent context. We're able to go deeper, maybe four to six. And then here we have the divine context. And this is realizing the spiritual growth that you experience in your one-on-one time with the Lord is really a crucial element to the discipleship um, map, if you will, that we all experience. So at the end of the day, this sounds, a lot of what we've talked about today kind of can feel like check boxes. If I do all these four or five things, then I have, I have uh, crossed the line and I am a good Christian, right? If you do any of this stuff without the focus on a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's just more man-made stuff. This is going to be that area that part of all of our lives where we make sure that all of our relationships are grounded in Jesus and what he's doing in our lives and who he is. What is eternal life? That they know me. Um, so as we talk about the divine context, Jesus, anybody remember Jesus experiencing the divine context? What do we see in scripture? What does Jesus do? Yeah, he went away. He got away from all the other social. Some of you are extroverts. I'm not. I'm an introvert, so I like being by myself. Some of you can't stand it, right? But he went away. He said, disciples, stay away. The three, stay away. The crowd, definitely stay away. And he went away. He prayed. We see examples of him fasting. Um, We know he slept. He got away, right? He slept on a boat in the middle of a storm, but he had times where he... He got away and spent time with his father. Even God the Son needed that divine context with God the Father. So the goals would be identity, destiny, or I like purpose. Destiny is kind of Lord of the Rings-ish. Truth. Identity is our continual understanding, our comprehension uh, of the fact that we are a child of God. That if you are a, you are an adopted son or daughter of God, and we do that by the more time we spend with Him and the more time that we're in His Word, that becomes more and more. It's it is always our full identity, but we are able to comprehend more and more and and believe more and more that that is our identity as we spend time in God's Word and with Him in prayer and fasting. Destiny or purpose would just be and. God can certainly reveal his purposes to your life in all these social contexts, but there's just something about being away with the Lord um, and and having that one-on-one time with him. 
And then truth would just be as we spend time in the Word. Again, it's truth leading to change, leading to application, leading to action. Not just knowledge, assimilation, but truth being a key goal of this time with the Lord. Truth that shapes. Prayer, fasting, giving, personal Bible reading. So this is the final of the context of the relational context. And again, I hope that you see this big picture that all five of these contexts, and I'm going to, I'll go to the next. We come to this chart. All five of these contexts in an ideal world are working together. What, what we realize as we're growing in all of these is, man, you know what? We pray in my small group, but we should also be saying, hey, there's nothing like praying one-on-one with the Lord, with your coffee, in the morning, at night, when you're alone. And so the small group is saying, yeah, let's work on praying and let's teach about praying. But then, man, we're going to encourage you to be experiencing it in prayer. And you know what? Yeah, we can pray as a group, but man, there's also something special about where you get three or four together and you're praying for each other really on intimate needs and, and things going on in your life that, that really a lot can happen here. And you know what? We want to be praying, but let's pray for our relationships with those where we live, work, and play, right? We want to be uh, a salt. We want to be light to people who are far from God. And uh, corporate worship says, hey, we want you here every week. We want to, as a church, be moving as a body towards one destination. But we also value the relationships and biblical community. And you are not to live this life alone. And Christian, Christianity is relationships with each other based around the word and the person of Jesus. So we're going to encourage you to be a part of these. So do you see how they all should be pointing to each other? And it's not, you know, oh, I'm more of a personal time with the Lord guy, or man, me, I'm all about missional community. We don't really need that church building, right? We're all just going to be at home. The hope would be that we see that all these work together. And certainly there are going to be times where you might, man, we're so busy right now, I just am not able to connect with the three or four in this season of life. And so we say, you know what, but I'm going to make every effort on Sundays to at least be a part of this group. So then in a year, when travel ball is done, man, I'm ready to jump back in. Does that make sense? That we, we want a partnership where we're seeing as all these grow, and, and it's also a litmus test where we say, hey, as a, as, a, as a person or as a family, man, we haven't, really been, we haven't really been focused on looking at needs in our neighborhood. So you know what? That's something we need to really think about. Or you know what? Man, my personal time with the Lord has really not been going great. And so I want to make sure that that becomes a priority this next season in my life. Does that make sense? I know I'm doing a lot of talking. You guys are being very patient. Um, Just as we've already mentioned, I don't want us to neglect, when we talk about discipleship, there is an element of discipleship that is for new believers. It's that walking side by side. Lee Taylor, who's on our global team, he, he uses this illustration and he talks about Man, when somebody comes to Christ, that's that gunshot moment, the race starts, and this kind of goes against that graph we saw earlier, but think about that, that gunshot moment, somebody is now a new believer, 
man, the new believer discipleship is saying, hey, for that first quarter mile of the race, I'm going to run next to next to you. And I'm going to help you. And I'm going to help you learn how to run. And I'm going to help you keep pace. And I'm going to answer questions. And then, man, after that quarter of a mile, you're going to be at a place where you now can hand off the baton to somebody else, but you're going to keep running with them. Discipleship is disciples who are making disciples. And I love that that picture. So I don't want us to neglect, I know for some of us who have been believers a long time, we're used to being around believers. There is an important element of discipleship that would be connecting with people who are far from God or who are really new in their relationship with God. The last thing that I'm going to, that I want to share is this is uh, something LifeWay came up with. And I'm sorry, I did not put this on your blank, but, uh, or your sheet. This is uh, just a list. This is not, again, the the be all end all, but sometimes you just, you just need to take a resource and just kind of go with it. And LifeWay has said, we looked at a bunch of churches that were really strong in what they kind of defined as discipleship. And so they said, these are the eight areas that in these different relational avenues, these relationship contexts, we want to focus on growing in these areas. And as people are growing in these areas, there is going to be a higher likelihood that transformation is going to occur. Again, people could probably do a lot of these things and no change occurs. They're just checkboxes. But these can be things that we want to see growth. In our time with the Lord, we want to be growing in these things. In our time with our small groups, we want to be growing in these. As we're missional, and some of these you'll see fit more into those boxes. We're just going to, I'm literally going to list these. We're not going to talk about them super long. We're going to read the Bible verse, and then I'm going to pray for you guys. So this top one, Bible engagement. In every avenue of discipleship, we want to have Bible engagement. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now, that's still going to look different. If you're inviting people into your home for a Bible study, the way you talk about a Bible verse is probably going to be a little different than when you're in your Sunday Bible study with a bunch of believers. But we want Bible engagement to be growing. Luke 9, 23. And that's the second one, this kind of darker orange. Obeying God and denying self. That's going to be part of our discipleship growth, regardless of the avenue. All right, uh, next is serving God and serving others. This is Matthew 25, 40. So we want to be growing not only in physical service, but also growing as servants in our attitudes. Sharing Christ. This is 1 Peter 3, 15. So again, if you're hanging out with non-believers, fringe believers at your home, the sharing Christ is going to look one way. When Clay shares the gospel at Big Church, it's going to sound one way. We want the gospel preached in our Sunday Bible studies, but we also acknowledge that most people that are in our groups are followers of Jesus. So it's going to look a little different, but we certainly want to be growing and sharing Christ in all areas of discipleship. How about uh, next one is exercising faith. Galatians 2.20, many examples of this, but I think one tangible is giving. You notice giving is not up on the list, and usually any time a Baptist uh, minister is talking, right, giving is going to come up. But, but I think that would just be an example of faith, because at the end of the day, giving is trusting the Lord with even our finances, right, acknowledging that he is, is the giver. 
Um, but that's just one example of many as far as how we can exercise faith. Number six is seeking God. Matthew six thirty three, seeking God. So I would think obviously prayer would be a big part of seeking the Lord, but um, even our discussions. And then the last one, is that the last one? Nope, number seven. Oh man, you guys were on me. All right, number seven, building relationships, Acts 2.42. So we want to be building relationships. That means, yes, we want Bible study, but there should, in all of those five contexts, right, they're all relationship contexts. Even divine, right, is relationship. You could have a quiet time where there's no relationship, right? We want divine context. We want there to be relationship. With other believers, there's going to be relationship. With non-believers, there's going to be relationship. And then the final one, unashamed. We want to grow in our courage, Romans 1.16. So think of this as the target. Whatever relationship context I'm in, as I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus, as I'm discipling others, this is a target that we shoot for, and God gives us grace when we miss it, um, and, and, uh, but he walks us step by step in helping us. So I really appreciate you guys being with me and sharing with this, uh, sharing some of this today. I'm going to pray for us, but thank you guys. You guys have been very attentive and um, good, good participants. So thanks for having me. And let's pray. Jesus, we, we just thank you for the fact that you have called us to live life in relationships. Ultimately, we are thankful for the relationship we have with you through Jesus. And that just uh, should bring us to our knees every day that we are your adopted sons and daughters. And it's because of that that we are called to now live in relationship with other people, with fellow believers, whether it's the big church, whether it's small groups, whether it's transparent life on life. And Lord, we also know that you've called us to connect with those who are far from God. And Jesus, I pray as we live in this post-Christian America that you would give us fresh understanding, that you would equip us to love those who uh, don't share the same worldview as us, those that uh, haven't been changed by you. Lord, I pray that you would give us patience as we learn what that might look like, but ultimately that we would continue to strive to grow as disciples who make disciples. And Lord, whatever that looks like at Johnson Ferry, Lord, I pray that you would continue to refine it, that you would grow us as a church, but that you would also grow us as individuals, as families, as leaders. We just want to get know you more, and we want to be changed ultimately by you, by your spirit, by your word. So we love you. Guide us now today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.